Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, and welcome to episode 196 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we get mad, but we don't usually slap people for it. I'm Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. I mean, admittedly, there are some people I wanted to slap. Oh, I definitely. Like, like, that is something that has definitely crossed my mind before. That it's like, that person could just be slapped. Like, I think that that would be good for them. But, yeah. yeah. Occasionally, <laughs> people really do have it coming. But th- not on stage at the Oscars. <laughs> That's probably not a good place to do that. So, so we're going to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, let's just dive right in. Um, we are not going to spend a ton of time on this, especially now that it's reaching a resolution and hopefully everyone can go back to <laughs> where they were before. Um, I, I can't believe I haven't seen tweets that said, there will be a time before the slap and a time after the slap. I'm sure that's... Someone must... Somewhere. Yes, I was. someone <laughs> must have said that by now. Like, there has to be, you know, either ironically and, like, sarcastically or, like, 100% serious. Yeah, yeah. Um... So for those who are not aware, I was at the Academy Awards last Sunday. Um, I was not in the theater, so I was not in the room where it happened. I was uh, next door at the hotel that is attached to the Dolby Theater where everybody comes to do their interviews after they win. Well, not everybody. People do have the option. They're not required to go to the interview room, Um, which to the dismay of a surprising number of reporters who actually thought he would, Will Smith did not come into an interview after he won Best Actor. Um, so let's just get that out there right now. It did not happen. Did not see him afterwards. So, but I was in the interview room. The way it works back there, it takes about 45 minutes for people to get there from the time that they walk off stage. Because um, there's a lot happening. They get their Oscar engraved. They... Um, you know, see friends, they do their toast with Kelly Ripa or whatever, and then they uh, go in, do a photo shoot, and then they come to the interview room. So there's a lot of time. And so for the first hour or so of the Oscars, nobody's even in the room. We're just watching the show on the monitors. And then once they started coming, the last time we did it, it seemed like there was a lot of time in between. But this year, because of the fact that they were (laughs) trying to condense the show to three hours (laughs) unsuccessfully, um, they, the, the interviews ended up being really compacted. So it was like one on top of another. And it just, it was just a weird, like lull where we just happened to not have anybody in the room when Chris Rock came out on stage. And so we were watching that whole thing uninterrupted and as soon as it was resolved and um, he went on to present the actual award that he was there for, uh, the interviews resumed. So I didn't get to see Questlove's speech. Like, we didn't get to see a lot of the rest of what happened. We got to see it, but we didn't get to hear it. 
unless you had a headset to listen, which I didn't do that because I was there to be reporting on the interview room. So I didn't get to see Jane Campion's speech. I didn't get to see Jessica Chastain's, which was kind of a bummer. And we'll get to all that in a minute. But what's so weird is that out of everything that we didn't get to see, we happened to get this like five minutes or so of the biggest moment in probably live TV, at least this century. I don't know. I don't know. What would you what would you consider it, Lauren? Was it, was it the biggest moment in TV? <laughs> it's definitely one of the more, you know, people have used shocking. I'm not certain whether it's shocking, it, uh, surprising. Yeah. It was definitely, as a person watching at home, uh, it was definitely weird. Mm-hmm. And, and this was in the context of an Oscars that up until that point, I was like, I'm bored. This is really boring. Why isn't anything? <laughs> and because, you know, and I think we're going to talk about this, right? And, and, and there were lots of things that were going on that I was like, okay, th- this is not do something, basically. Mm-hmm. And in fact, on Twitter, I was like, no, I demand chaos. I demand chaos. And I was like, <laughs> I got chaos. <laughs> So you made I got this happen. It. You manifested this. This is all your I like, fault. I was just like, something has to happen. Something has to happen. And lo, it did. Um, oh. I, I'm not saying that that's a good thing at all. No. Like, like it, it was, but it was weird. I mean, you know, watching at home. And I think most people had the, the same kind of experience, at least those of us watching in the United States, because I thought it was a bit like I thought when when smith went up on stage i was like oh they're like you know oh don't talk about my wife like it's it's a joke right that that this was something that had been planned and then it became when the mics cut out and you could tell that like chris rock was saying something and will smith was saying something then it was like oh i don't is this is this not a bit um and and then you know twitter was like blowing up it's just like that was not scripted that was not something <laughs> that was intended to happen and so like it became very clear uh as the night went on that you know this was this was something that was that had actually happened that this was not planned in any way yeah um yeah so it was it was just very bizarre and i feel like granted i was pretty drunk um for the last like hour of the oscars or whatever so but i feel like it just got weirder from there you know kevin costner gave a really weird speech before um awarding uh the the best director oscar it was like and then smith had had his moment which was very odd like everything felt bizarre after that which admittedly you know up until that point i'd been bored so there's that i've been bored slash angry a lot of the time (laughs) yeah but yeah, it it was it was definitely one of the weirder moments. And we talked about before that, you know, we you, you kind of expect things to happen at the Oscars. You and usually it's like, oh, some, you know, Roberto Benini walking over the chairs, the the kind of the excitement, people crying, all of that stuff. That's kind of it's it's nice and it's unscripted and it's it's it can be unpredictable. This was just like, oh, that now what who do what do we do now, mm-hmm. basically? Yeah. Yeah. It Um, really just, yeah. Well, what was unfortunate was it just cast this shadow, at least for us where we were in the work that we were trying to do. It just really was this shadow that just kind of hung over and the rest of the night. And of course there was only supposed to be about another hour of show, but there was almost two because they were running so over and that's a whole other thing. Um, but it just, it was really unfortunate because when, you know, when Questlove made it into the interview room, of course, that was the first thing someone wanted to ask about. 
was um, mm-hmm. because that was his category, and and it just he very he was so polite when he stepped right around that, and he was just like, "I'm here to talk about my movie. I'm here to celebrate the Harlem Music Festival," and it was just it it was such a such a polite way to tell someone shut the fuck up that was really rude you know mm-hmm. and um and it happened a couple of other times jessica chastain pretended she didn't even hear the question which was also <laughs> very it was another very classy way to do it um because she didn't she wasn't obnoxious about it she just started answering a different question <laughs> and then she goes i'm not sure if that answered your question and then she just goes on to the next person it was great yeah, that um, is very polite. That's that's very like, I'm going to pretend that that didn't happen right now. Yeah. Well, and the moderator kept saying to people, like, please keep your questions relevant to the artists, their work, and what they're here for. Not mm-hmm. anything else that has gone on in the ceremony. Like, well, she that's... didn't specifically say the slap, but, you know. Yeah. But, but I mean, that's that's what's so difficult about this right mm-hmm. it, it is that you know and particularly in a time where you know it's it's all over the internet like within seconds basically they people had posted the the un the unedited un um uh uncensored, uh, uncensored yeah. clip from the australian broadcast where you actually could hear what will smith was saying and how chris mm-hmm. rock responded and all of that stuff and we got all of that in the interview room we didn't get a censored version uh-huh so, yeah, yeah so you didn't hear you didn't see the like cut mic which is which is what weirded me out because yeah. i was like oh something's going on that, that yeah this, yeah well that was when i was just like i can't imagine what folks at home are even hearing right now like are they just bleeping all of this like <laughs> what's going on so yeah. It's just silence. It was like the the audio just stopped working all of a sudden. Mm. Um but but yeah, so so it become it then becomes this this symbol and it's really sad because as I was watching I was just like what is the cat like I was just like I don't even know what the category is at the moment and then they said that it said Quest of it. I was like, "Oh, it was best documentary. This this is a really deserving film and he gave a great speech." And at the same time, I'm sitting there going, like, everyone is is just going to be talking about what what happened between Will Smith and Chris Rock. And that's it, right? Yeah. And it was really sad. And so I can imagine, you know, on a night when you have all of these great things being awarded, all like, actually, a lot of really good stuff happening in terms of who is getting recognition. It's now been so overshadowed by this this moment um, and that that's the major thing that everybody is talking about. Yeah. And, and I mean, you and I have both dealt with this all week, you know, the, the yeah. day after. So it's like the Oscars happen Sunday night. I am at work on Monday uh, at a job that is not in the industry. And I had a meeting in the afternoon with like my boss, the president of my school, my boss's boss, like a whole, I'm on a whole committee of people. Um, and so it's like all these, like, all the important folks, you know, and I walked in and my boss says, I heard you were at the Oscars. And I was just like, yeah. And then instantly everyone turns to me like, oh my gosh, tell us everything. And it was just like so overwhelming. I kind of knew it was coming, but to just be bombarded, it was the first meeting at work that we've had in person in two years. And that was like the first thing that happened. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, hmm. And so I was explaining, you know, my vantage point of, you know, what happened. But of course, then the other thing was that people wanted to talk about who's right and who's wrong in this situation. And that's been a whole other 
very difficult thing because I, you know, like you and I were talking about before we started recording, like we've talked about all week. I don't, obviously what Will Smith did is wrong. And he recognizes that. He's apologized now a couple of times and he is now officially resigned from the Academy. His resignation has been accepted. It's done. It's it's over. It's time to move on. But that doesn't mean that Chris Rock was absolved or that he didn't step out of line too. Which is also not to say that he deserved to get smacked on live TV. Obviously he didn't. But it's just such a complicated issue. And uh, I just, I think that you know, for me, right in the moment when it was happening, I I just thought, this this goes against... I mean, I've, I've heard here and there that Will Smith has a temper, but we've never seen anything like this from him before. And, like, not even in this realm. And so, it just, it was like, I need to step back and not pass an immediate judgment on what happened. And I wish that, in general, we could just do better about that not passing immediate judgments and and proclaiming one side right and one side wrong automatically yeah we we do have a tendency like like you said we do have a tendency to be like well who was right in this situation and who wasn't Mm -hmm. um and yeah at the end of the day they were both wrong yeah um and and it escalated definitely but they they were both wrong. One of one of the interesting things I think is is that a lot of people aren't aware, and I wasn't personally aware when it initially happened, and then people began talking about it. I did not know that Jada Pinkett Smith had alopecia at all. Like so, the joke, the the GI Jane two joke, right? Seems like kind of innocuous. It was just like I had figured that she had shaved her head for a roll. Like that was just something that you know I I thought I didn't really think much about it because I don't pay that much attention. Mm-hmm. And and then it turned out that there was like this history, right? There's not only just a history between Chris Rock and and Jada Pinkett Smith, but there was this history about um, about alopecia, about the issue of black women's hair, all of those things, right? So th- that joke was loaded in a way that a lot of people myself included just were not aware of and if i wasn't aware of it as someone that actually follows celebrity things and and follows film and stuff like that there are a lot of people watching and a lot of people after the fact who were not aware of it so there's like this added kind of thing that that as as you're saying what we're seeing is not just a single moment there is a lot of other stuff that is getting packed into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like leading up to, and this is where it gets really complicated to talk about because I've had a couple of times this week where I've tried to make this point or at least just try to express what I'm thinking about. And it becomes automatically, I'm saying Chris Rock def- deserved it. I'm defending Will Smith, which is not the case. I don't think that, that this, that he, I don't think Rock deserved this to happen. I don't think that Will Smith was, at all justified in doing it but i do think that when it comes to these situations we can't just make these snap judgments and i think that's what was going on and like for me and i'm not saying i get this right every time i get it wrong so often but i think for me what was happening and what my initial thoughts were as i was watching all this unfold was there's a lot more going on here that we don't know about yeah, it, it and it seemed that way even in the moment where it's just like, okay, something else is happening. Like there has, there is, because that doesn't happen. 
right? That yeah. That is not, especially the deliberateness of it. It wasn't like they were standing up there next to each other and, and Smith like reacted. He got up out of his seat. Right. Yeah. And he walked onto the stage, right? And, and at that point, you're just like, okay, this is, de- this is deliberate. This is not like just a knee-jerk reaction, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and so, so the, the conversation got so complicated so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and particularly, and I think we do have to say we're two white women. Yes. And so there is a very serious limitation on what we should be commenting on and, and how we should be commenting on it. I think I've seen a lot of black commentators talking about this, black critics talking about it. And, and everybody has a different opinion. It's not like there's a uniform opinion coming out here. Um, but it is very important to like note all of the layers of, of issues that are, are be are kind of being exposed here. Um, and, and is definitely something to, to consider and to pay attention to more so than, you know, so Will Smith was right. Chris Rock was wrong, you know, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and what I think is one of the unfortunate things results of this situation is because of the way smith decided to react um because even if it's a very quick decision he made a decision he made a decision to get up out of his chair to walk up on that stage Mm -hmm. and and smack him he that was all a decision and unfortunately like one of the problems there is that i think that that took away from a conversation that really needs to happen, which is something that we're not going to resolve today, but we need to have a serious talk about comedians and what they say about people and what they're allowed to get away with and how it's just Mm -hmm. gotten so out of hand. And especially, I mean, that joke was not scripted. It was not in the teleprompter. Nobody knew he was going to say it. And, but because of what happened as a result, that's not the conversation. But that is something that needs to happen. So, um, I think we're yeah. gonna. Sorry, go ahead. No, I well, I was just, I was just gonna say uh, in terms of the comedian, you know, in a, in a broader sense that that issue of comedians, you know, this is also happening at a time when we're talking about what is the responsibility of comedians? What are people allowed to make jokes about, and what are they not? And and I do think that and even saying that's just like well it's not so much you're allowed to make jokes about anything how people respond to them is not something that you can control and that is something that you need to consider if you're going to make a joke and to say like we don't appreciate you know racist jokes and sexist jokes and all of that shit but yeah so this is coming at a time when there's also a lot of fraught feelings about comedy and what comedy should do what comedy doesn't do. Um, and we're also talking about a conflict between very rich, privileged people. I think that that does have to be like considered as well. These are not, this is not, um, uh, this is not just an issue of, or just a question of race or something like that. These are very privileged people in a very privileged position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So last thing about this before we move on to good things, um, <laughs> because we are two very white women. Uh, we got an email from Shakita who had her thoughts and we, uh, I really appreciated her sharing. So um, I wanted to read this and then we will move on. Uh, so Shakita says, I do not know if you guys are going to talk about Will Smith, but I just think it was ridiculous that he slapped Chris Rock. It was just a joke 
And yes, it was out of line, but violence is never the answer. As a black woman, I'm embarrassed for Will Smith. He's only the fifth black man in the 94 years of the Academy Awards to win an Oscar for Best Actor, and he overshadowed his win with this bullshit. Thank you so much, Shakita, for sharing your perspective. And um, yeah, you make a, a several very good points. So thank you. And um, on that note, let's move on and talk about some good things that happen at the Oscars. <laughs> because yes, good things happened at the Oscars. <laughs> um, Lauren, what was... I know you didn't see all the movies that were nominated. Yes. Um, but what was your favorite win of the night, if you had one? Uh, definitely Jane Campion. Yeah. Um, I, I was very, very excited. I think I think everybody, we kind of knew that she was going to win regardless of how Power of the Dog did. It was kind of like, okay, she is the favorite, definitely. But even then, I was just like, is she going to win? She better fucking win. I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> um, and I was just so, like, excited that, that she won because it's not just that, first of all, she definitely deserved it um but but also the fact that women have now won back-to-back -back best director oscars and that is fantastic too that is like um that's unusual as as we've talked about a lot on this podcast but it also says that you know women are getting more recognized for their contributions to to cinema and for the work that they do and to have you know we we elevate the directors so much and to have women finally getting that kind of respect um on on much more regular basis is really great to see that and and the fact that the film 100 deserved it she 100 deserved it yeah. so that was definitely my favorite i was also it's... really happy for Questlove uh because i i loved that movie there were a number of documentaries in there that are quite good but um, but his yeah that that film is so important in a lot of ways. I'm glad that it got recognition as well. Yeah, for sure. Jane Campion winning was such an amazing moment. I mean, not only is this the first time that we've had back to back women win the category, this is the first year we've had back to back women nominated for director. Because there's just been gaps in between every time this has happened. So this is the first time. Like, we've had three women nominated for Best Director in the last two years now, which is just sad how incredible that is, but it is. And then Jane Campion won. She deserved it. She was just fantastic. The Power of the Dog is an amazing, amazing film. I saw people, like, I mean, all week, of course, people have been just like, well, see, the Academy just didn't really like it. You don't nominate a movie for 12 Oscars if you don't like it. It's just, that's not how that works. The Academy liked it. They just, there were other things happening in the world and they didn't pick it for best picture, but that doesn't mean they didn't like the movie. And getting to see Jane Campion have that moment 27 years after she was first nominated um, for the piano was just, it just felt like such a, such a great cap on a really good season. I, you know, I, I liked so many of the movies this year. I saw every film that was nominated, every single one of them, and some of them are terrible. Uh, well, okay, no, that's not fair. Some of them are not to my taste, um, but they're obviously somebody's favorite. And um, But then we had a lot that I thought were really, really great films, and getting to see this honor for Campion on a night like this was, uh, it was just 
amazing. And in the interview room, I got to ask her a question, which was just surreal. <laughs> so, because it's so funny. I've been to several events throughout the season for the power of the dog specifically, and we just keep missing each other. And so it was like, then I got to actually be there and see that happen. It was very cool. Uh, and I do not take that amazing um, experience for granted at all. So it was really, it was really great. Um, as far as, yeah, Questlove, it really is too bad that his moment got overshadowed, but, um, he got to, he got to continue that back in the interview room and he just was so, um, like it's, it's funny because when people win an Oscar, they're obviously really excited and, there's there is a degree of of humility that people tend to to have when this happens as well because the chances of winning an oscar are astronomically small but there was just something about him the the whole night and he just it, it was like he he did not want to take all of the attention at all he was very mindful of that and every time people were congratulating him he just kept reiterating like this isn't for me this is for Harlem. This is for the Harlem Music Festival. This is for the people whose stories didn't get to be told. And it was just, it was so beautiful to see that. And, um, and, but also it's like, but dude, you just directed an Academy Award winning movie and you did a really great job. Like take a little bit of that, you know, <laughs> it was just kind of funny, but beautiful, beautiful to see that. I was, uh, I was I was also like, are you still there? <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. Sorry, no, I was just letting you. I was letting you talk. No, the 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 other one that I mean, actually, there are a lot of great wins this this year, and there are a lot of first time win kind of yeah. things. Um, and uh, I I was, and admittedly, I don't like the film, but I do think that her performance was great. Um, was Ariana DeBose as mm -hmm. uh, as Anita, and her getting to win that, and again, and and also getting to you know speak. Uh, her feelings about it and the fact that she is this openly queer Afro-Latina woman um, and to get to see her just sort of embrace that and um, and you know be, be awarded for a great performance I thought that that was was wonderful even though I'm not a huge fan of the film itself yeah you know it's funny because obviously she's the second Latina woman ever to win um, best supporting actress and the first was Rita Moreno for playing the same role. And um, someone asked her, you know, about, about that. And, and they were trying to frame it in like a, isn't it really unfortunate that only two women have two Latinas have won this award and it's for playing the same role. And she totally framed it as like, isn't that exciting? We've had men win, like two separate men win for playing the same role, but that's never happened with women. So it's really exciting. She says, obviously we have a lot of work to do. Um, there need to be more Latinas recognized, but um, this is, she's like, basically she was just like, yeah, I don't regret that my role has been won by someone else before. Like that's, that's okay. You know, that's not, that's not the point. So it was, yeah, she, she was just, so such a ray of sunshine and seeing seeing her and and just how excited she was and and what this means for so many people um because it was she obviously the first openly queer actress to win but also um um 
Raisuki Hamaguchi, the director from Drive My Car. Obviously, he didn't win the Oscar Goes to the Country uh, for International Feature, but he's openly gay, too. And apparently a lot of people did not know that. So, yeah. So it was like all around, it was a good night um, for for under, for traditionally underrepresented uh, people. You know, we have Troy Kotzer, the first deaf man to win an an acting Oscar. We had three South Asians win um, because we had the two direct, well, the two, um, the director and producer for um, live action short Anil Karia and Riz Ahmed and then one of the producers for Summer of Soul who had a really um, a really important point on a, on Twitter the other night but he started getting a lot of shit so he deleted it but it had to do with the, the fact that he became the 10th South Asian person to win an Academy Award that night and the 8th and 9th were Anil Korea and Riz Ahmed. So it's like three, like they, they almost basically tripled the number um, from that had ever won. So, Well, if, if you look at the awards just kind of across the board, there was a lot of firsts, a lot of, and, and a lot of overdue firsts. I think mm-hmm. that that's something that we should notice. But but the even just looking at the nominees, it's sort of the sheer diversity of people, of films, um, of types of films, right? You've got musicals and Westerns, but it's not like even a traditional Western particularly. And, um, you know, my small family dramas and international features and all of this stuff. So you've got all of these really interesting, actually, if you look at it, really interesting um, stories being told, really interesting people being uh, awarded for them. And so, I think we're going to talk about the weirdness of the Academy Awards this year generally, but the actual films that are getting nominated, the films that are getting awarded are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is why it's so frustrating when people like Trevor Noah say Oscar movies are like vegetables. You don't want them, but you have to, you know, whatever. And then like Wanda Sykes making the joke about the power of the dog, which People who didn't like The Power of the Dog loved the joke. And I'm just so, you know, she said that she had watched it three times and she was almost halfway through. And it's it's so frustrating the way people do this every year to these Oscar movies. And you know what? Sometimes I also agree that some of the nominees are long and slow and boring. But... These movies mean something to somebody and the way that we continue to to complain about them or, you know, at least people do year after year on the Oscar stage. And this was a point I was making on Twitter the other day is like, why would the general audience who hasn't seen these movies have any incentive to watch them when the people awarding the movies are making jokes about them being boring and long? Yeah, it, the, this Oscars in particular began to feel like I, I and I'm, I mentioned this briefly on uh, on Twitter as well that this sense that that they don't like movies, mm-hmm. um, and and so and, and I think that some of you know some of what what we've been talking about the past few weeks even and as all of these changes have been made to the Oscars and like all of that stuff to make them shorter. <laughs> Um, all of those ha, things, ha, ha. yeah, is that this attitude of there, there's like, there's two vying elements going on and they are 
they seem to be vying more and more over the past couple of years, and they seem to be separating more and more, is the need for the Oscars to be entertaining, whatever that means necessarily. We've talked about that. And the fact that it's an award show, right? And it's supposed to be awarding the best of the best in films right now, right? That's the concept behind the Oscars. And there is this contempt that is beginning to come through for the films themselves. And so saying, oh, they're boring, they're long, they're, you know, oh, they're in a different language from mine, you know, all of those things. And after a while, you're just like, do you even like films? Like, what, what is this even about anymore? There was a joke about animated films, um, about how, like, you know, yeah. kids love them and, and parents suffer through them. Meanwhile, one of the films is Flea. And I'm like, right. that, that... I am pretty positive that is not a kids' movie. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, and but but yeah, it's this it's this disrespect for films, mm-hmm. and and particularly across the board too. Like it's not like you know these are films that are nominated for best picture. They're nominated for best animated feature. These are not even you know the the we talked about the disrespect for the technical categories. Um, but yeah, just just the the level of disrespect for films, and it's not funny anymore. It's not like oh ha ha, you know, the power of the dog was long or something like that. It's just like this isn't. Do you even like movies? Which, by the way, there were like three or four Oscar-nominated best pictures this year that were longer than the Power of the Dog. So suck it. Well, I I said it before. Power of the Dog was one of the few films this year that actually engaged my attention. Um, And I've had, and that's my fault. You know, my, I've just had difficulty focusing on films. Um, And this was a film that I was like riveted. I was sitting there going, and granted, some people will not be. And I absolutely understand that because different films speak to you differently. This was a film where I was like, this is fascinating. This is exactly what I want cinema to look like. Um, And I don't want that all the time obviously but it it was it was a really engaging film to me and then to just be like oh you know it 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 comes off as basically saying oh you're elitist you're intellectual like isn't that terrible or disgusting or something it's just like no it isn't like i don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying superhero movies but i do think that there's something wrong if that's the only kind of film that you want to watch or will watch or that gets attention yeah well and to that point as well the way that people have said oh well everyone voted for coda because they wanted to feel something completely dismisses the experience that people had watching the power of the dog i feel a multitude of emotions watching the power of the dog which i have now watched four times i love that film It makes me feel angry. It makes me feel heartbroken. It makes me just feel hopeful and sad and everything. And to sit there and say, oh, well, people just... And I liked Coda, too. I like Coda. I'm not... You know, I'm... That's fine that it won Best Picture. I'm not mad about it. But but to sit there and say that it's not... That the power of the dog is not an emotional experience while Coda is, is... Is dismissing the entire range of human emotion. And dismissing the the actual lived experience of a lot of people. Well, and, and the same can be said for West Side Story or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a film that I don't particularly like, but obviously it spoke to a lot of people. Um, or Eyes of Tammy Faye, a film which is very different from, you know, Coda or, or Power of the Dog. Right. Or... Um, 
uh, King Richard, right? Which I just saw, which I just saw the other night. And I think is, is a very good film in a lot of ways. Like it, the, the, one of the great things this year was that there were so many different kinds of films being recognized, being nominated, whether or not they won. And for there to be that disconnect then of like, oh, it's boring, it's old, it's too slow, uh, you know, it's Oscar bait, all of those different things, just like you don't like movies. You don't actually like movies. You like very specific kind of film and you want to kind of shit all over um, any other film that doesn't completely fit what you think cinema ought to be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm trying to find... Justin Chang wrote a really good article for the LA Times the other day. I'm trying to find it. I can't. I should have. I should have prepared. But I, you know, you never know where these conversations are going to go sometimes because we don't have it scripted. Um, and but anyway, he was he broke down what the ten best picture nominees represent. He's like, oh, because he was talking essentially about this idea of the Oscar movie and people just like poo-pooing that and he was just like what are you talking about you've got a giant you know expensive sci-fi movie you have a musical adaptation of a classical musical classic musical you got a family movie that's also a sports movie you've got a family drama you have a western you know breaking this down you have the entire like the entire range of cinema and cinematic experiences and to just dismiss that as oh oscar movies are boring is is so it's wrong it's false and it completely lacks imagination and understanding of what's really being put out on screen yeah yeah and and it's it's offensive in a lot of ways it is very mm-hmm um, but... I, I did find it very funny uh, that there was a certain point of the night that I, and granted, I was getting drunk and angry, um, which is what I do on Oscar. <laughs> um, I, this is just my Oscar. Like, this is what I do. This is your you process. Know, I, I get drunk and angry. And then by the end of it, I'm just like, who won? What's happening? Um, this is like, it's great. I love it. <laughs> One night a year. Um, but, but people were beginning to go like, oh my God, is there going to be like a Dune sweep? And it was just like, and I was sitting there going like, first of all, no, I don't think so. But second of all, I would be so angry if there is. But there's just like, Dune's going to sweep all the awards because they kept on winning technical awards, which you know, I I don't think it deserved the technical awards. Fine, they gave it to them, whatever. Um, but I was really happy when it became very clear. It's just like, no, Dune's not going to win any of the big ones. Like, <laughs> like that's just not going to happen uh, because also it is a bad and ugly movie, and I hate it. So. <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah, I, on that note, I did want to say how much I love Jenny Beaven, who won costume design for Cruella. She's won before. This yes, is third Oscar. she's great. <laughs> she is, she is a fantastic human being. I love her to death. And also the costumes in Cruella are fucking amazing. And if any movie deserved to win that category, like this, that category was created for movies like Cruella. So that made me very, mm-hmm. very happy. And then also getting to see the team and I'm looking up their names because I believe in saying the winners names when you can. Um, so Linda Dowds, Stephanie Ingram and Justin Raleigh 
are Jessica Chastain's makeup and hair team. They have been with her now for 16 films. And so to get to see them win for The Eyes of Tammy Faye and Jessica Chastain win Best Actress for that film as well and seeing them all win together was very, very exciting. And it was just so cool to see just what a team they were, the four of them, through this whole season. And it's funny because in the last couple of weeks before the Oscars, a lot of people had had started to think that Penelope Cruz was going to pull ahead and win Best Actress. And I was just like, no, you know what? And there's no way of knowing for sure if I was right, if they were kind of heading in the right direction or what. But, um, but the thing that convinced me that Jessica Chastain was going to win was the way that these four folks stuck together. Like she and Linda and Stephanie and Justin all just they they were campaigning together she promised that if their category was going to be done before the broadcast started she was not going to be out on the red carpet she was going to be in that theater there for them and i think that had a lot of goodwill with people among the crafts and i think that's what pushed her over the top and and helped guide her to best actors but it was also a deserving win it doesn't mean that you know i'm saying that doesn't mean that like oh well they just gave it to her. She deserved to win. That was a fantastic performance. But it was just very exciting to see the four of them get to win together and getting to see them with their Oscars all together and stuff was just very, very cool. Yes, and and so deserved on the yes. on the makeup front. Like yeah. that the makeup work in that film is really remarkable. The, <laughs> like, yeah. The, well, the level of understanding that goes into doing a makeup job like that where they there's this is going to sound like such a weird way to explain it, but like there's this level of compassion and understanding where I think other people might have been tempted to just make her look like a clown. Yeah, no, it, it, it made it rung true. It felt real. And and I think and then the combination of that in her performance, I think, really. Yeah it elevated that performance and it did kind of highlight the fact that this was a real human being, not yeah. a punchline. Right. Exactly. Um, and she's so often been treated as a punchline and also not just, you know, the more extreme elements of the makeup, but the way that it changes over the years, mm -hmm. um, the way that, you know, she looks at herself as, as a girl and as a young woman, and then how that, how it changes, how um, it kind of reflects her own changing self image, et cetera. Um, and I, I think that it was, it was fantastic and it was 100% deserved on all fronts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So we got a question from Mason. He wanted to know, the Academy is currently in contract with ABC Disney until the 100, cause ABC is owned by Disney until the 100th Academy Awards. Is it possible or plausible that one or both entities might choose to part ways early? Yes. Um, I think that's, that's much good. more likely to come from the Academy than it is from Disney. I think they are going to do what they can to keep it because as much as they try to say, well, we got to, you know, save money and whatever. I think Disney is going to really have a black eye if they lose the Academy Awards. However, I would say anybody who was watching the show on Sunday probably in a lot of ways felt like they were watching a giant, uh, commercial, <laughs> for Disney and the entire, yeah. the entire corporation. And I think that members of the Academy are going to really um, be ready to start putting their foot down, even though, yeah. you know, like 40% of them work for Disney uh, or, you know, in some way or another. Um, but I think that, I think this really, this year, making them put 
categories, you know, before the broadcast and then editing them back in quote unquote seamlessly. Uh, yeah, that was not seamless. It was some of the worst editing I've ever oh seen. Well, I was just like, I was like, that's what you get for fucking with the technical awards. You get shoddy work. <laughs> there's a part of me that really hopes the editors were making it look like crap on purpose and it wasn't just because they had to turn it around so fast, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, you kind of, it's it's like you can't really do it because if the idea is to shorten the broadcast, which I think we should talk about that for a minute, mm-hmm. um, and but also to have the categories in there, you can't do both because if you just edit them back in, then you're still the the broadcast is still going to be long yeah uh and if you and if you cut them down it's going to look choppy because it's confusing also there were so many people on twitter that i was watching they were just like why are, what's happening like why are why are they are they actually doing these categories people didn't understand what was going on mm-hmm. they just thought it looked weird and it was like yeah because no one who has not been like following all of this has any idea what's going on here Right. And they definitely cut out people who were speaking. They cut acceptance speeches. When they did the the um, live action short film, the broadcast only showed Riz Ahmed speaks, speaking, but the director also spoke. But nope, nobody knows who he is. Nobody cares. It's just live action short. Just show Riz. It's fine. Yeah, they were doing crap like that. And... That's so unfair to the winners. It's so disrespectful to the categories. And it proves the point of everything everybody has been saying ever since this decision was announced. That that it really is creating a second tier of of these the craft categories. And also, it's hard to convince me that if there was... Um, if going into the night we really thought West Side Story was going to win a lot of these, that the decision would have been the same. Because ABC managed to get it so that the WB movie was relegated to second tier. Because five of those categories went to Dune. Five out of eight. And then the other three were short films. Well, and you're, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and you know, your, your point that it's beginning to look more and more like a Disney advertisement. The, you know, we don't talk about Bruno performance. Um, mm-hmm. the, the A song the, that was not even, like like campaigned it was not yeah. submitted for the oscar no it, exactly it was just like what what are we doing and then i and i i still don't know why didn't we have like two tributes to james bond were there two um, i don't know i there was that they there was one, one and then they talked about bond again and for some reason tony hawk and and uh what's his name sean white were introduced and i'm sitting there going i do not understand what is happening at this moment like i don't get it um and I, I just, I don't, and as, as we, as we mentioned this, it still went long. So what they did was that rather than having the technical categories, they replaced the technical categories with these weird skits and sketches and random tributes to, to James Bond and a tour of the Academy Museum and all of this stuff. It's like, this doesn't, this doesn't mean anything, you know, we're, we're going to have the best fan moments, just like, well, none of these, some, the, some of these are not even from films that were released this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, um, it, yeah, it was very frustrating all around. And so back to Mason's question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I think there's going to be a vested interest from a lot of members of the Academy to get away from this Disney deal. Um, I don't know if we're at the point of putting the Oscars right on streaming. Um, I would say 
there's a possibility, I would say even probably a strong possibility that they go to NBC Universal and make a deal with them to, and that would involve a simulcast, which is what NBC did for the Olympics. So you have stuff that's on, on the regular broadcast channel for people who have that and then simulcast on Peacock. I could totally see that happening. It's going to well, be an expensive deal to get out of, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly didn't understand. And I'm certain that there's some, that there's some like, there's some issue with all of this, but Disney has a, a streaming service that is sitting right there. Um, and I did not understand why there was not some sort of deal worked out where you could actually show the Academy Awards on Disney Plus as they were happening. Yeah, and um, Hulu too. That, yeah, exactly. That was the thing. I don't know. And and so like, it it's it was just it was such a clusterfuck. It was such a dull show. It was such a bizarre show. Um, I I mean I agree with you without knowing anything directly about this. Obviously, I I agree with you that I I can't imagine that at some point something's got to give. This can't keep happening. Basically, yeah, it's getting worse and worse every year. And it's interesting because ABC has been the home of the Academy Awards since nineteen seventy. I think 78, 76 or 78. Um, and it's, it, it was fine for years. It was fine. This wasn't a problem. So I think that really, and I'm now, this is going to be my project for this week. Cause I'm going to go back and take a, a real good look, but I would suspect that we can pinpoint the, the, a giant jump in problems related to the broadcasting of the Oscars to around the time that Disney acquired Fox, or at least when that deal started. And I think that once they had the giant share of the market that they now do, I think that's where we've really seen um, this interest from the company to um, make a lot of these changes to the Oscars. They're, they're turning it into their own, like their own thing. And, um, you know, everyone talks about Netflix bias, but I think that we're also seeing an anti-Disney bias, and I think it's going to get worse. And I think if Disney doesn't release these these reins, I think that um, they might be not winning. Uh, I mean, obviously they get animated feature pretty much every year now, but I think they're going to be a long way from a Best Picture win. Um, if the, if this doesn't stop and some of the other major categories so that's just my own personal little like um pet theory but i think there's i think there's something to that so i don't know yeah, that, i mean that makes sense to me definitely yeah um we also got a comment from keith who said i hope you are going to discuss my favorite moment when lady gaga whispered to liza that she had her back i literally was in tears so it was so sweet and so nice to see. And it was nice. It was nice to see Liza. Nice to see that. Like people talked about the, the, the support without condescension mm -hmm. um, that, that Lady Gaga demonstrated just kind of being like, you know, I'm, I'm here to support you basically. And I, I really liked it. And, and the fact that she said like, they love you, you know, it was like, Oh, this is yeah. wonderful. It was yeah. really, it was really sweet. Like, 
watching that and incredibly wasted i i was like lady gaga is a good person man people are so mean about lady gaga but she's wonderful yeah well that's the thing so that was a moment that i had to watch on the replay because we had someone in the interview room so i missed i missed that actual moment um but i went back and watched it and yeah it's it's beautiful it's so so beautiful and i think that this is just the latest demonstration of who Lady Gaga is as a person. Because, I mean, look at the relationship she's also had with Tony Bennett, who has Alzheimer's. He's not doing great from what I hear. And um, and she just is a very lovely, very supportive person and truly cares about about people and um, and just is such the embodiment of compassion and support and love and which is why it makes me so frustrated to see the way some of some of her fans not all but the way some of her fans treat other people and especially we've seen it this season how just how ugly it's gotten and I just I hope that those fans who've been so mean to people for no reason um, will really look at this moment and remember why they love her in the first place, why they're such big fans, and we'll use her example to start being kinder. Yes, definitely. Okay. And so thank you both, Mason and Keith, for, for that, and also for Shakita. So we, we really do appreciate your um, your comments and, and thoughts and emails and tweets. Um, and we have just a, another couple before we, we wrap this up. So now we're going to move into another discussion um, a movie that will obviously be nominated for 10 Academy Awards at the 95th Oscars, which is Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile. <laughs> which did come out in theaters in February, but it's now available to stream on Hulu and HBO Max. And Lauren, you finally saw Death on the Nile. Tell I am so excited. I have been waiting for this film for how what, it was supposed to was it supposed to come out in 2020? Yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think so no, waiting. I think originally 2019. I feel like it got pushed back even before the. Um... It might. Yeah, I think that you're right. It got pushed for like other dates or something like yeah. that, and then the pandemic happened, and like, yeah, like uh -huh. yeah. So I've been waiting for like three years for this movie. Uh, and it was everything I wanted it to be. To be honest, um, I. I you know, I unironically enjoyed it. Like, I think it was lots of fun. I loved the the, the first uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, I I am so pleased to have the backstory of the mustache and to have, you know, its origin story, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I felt very vindicated <laughs> when that happened. As well you should. You know, I listened <laughs> to that clip that you posted on Twitter. I think that we should also definitely send that to our patrons who I think will appreciate it as well. Yes. Um, from our second episode ever. Back in 2017. <laughs> where we were talking about the, the appearance of the mustache. This was even before Murder on the Earth Express came out. I yeah, think. like they had just released the first trailer. And, and the craziness of that mustache, which we must say is crazy. Like it, oh, is, it is quite it's a mustache. And and you and you were like, no, I think that there's some justification for the mustache. And lo and behold, <laughs> five years later, we see the justification for the mustache, the reasons behind it, 
uh, its meaning. And, and I think that it was, it was great to see, but I actually really liked it. I, I really liked the film. I thought that, you know, there were a lot of good performances. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I like the fact that, you know, it's kind of going in the direction of the sort of star studded casts, um, from like the seventies, but at the same time is actually doing something different with the, the source material is, um, you know, kind of telling some interesting stories, dealing with some actually more serious things like the, the amount of discussion about, about love and the meaning of love and about trauma, uh, throughout this film was quite surprising in a lot of ways, as uh, as you pointed out in in one of our Slack conversations, um, that that there was there was like actual depth. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's it's surprising, but it was good to see. And I think this is what uh, this is. I feel like there's a lot of things that we can laugh at or you know look at as being a little bit hokey in this movie, but I think that. This, from a script perspective, this is a good example of how you adapt an already known work and and how you make it work for a new medium. Because they do pull out some things that I don't remember ever getting from the book or from some of the different adaptations. So. Well, and really a lot of Agatha Christie, especially when, you, when you're talking about the Poirot books, is very straightforward, right? There isn't a lot of dealing with, you know, psychology or, let's say, these issues of trauma, these issues of, um, of you know, really digging into questions about love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, there are a lot of different ways that you can go with that. And I think it's, I, I like the fact that um, we've got these, you know, earlier adaptations of this, which kind of go much heavier on the comedy of it, right? The, the kind of silliness of it. Um, and then this one actually goes a little bit in the other direction. It's kind of like, well, we're going to make it a little more serious. We're going to actually have some, some more, they say depth, depth level conversations. Um, while also making it just, just entertaining. Of course, it's very unfortunate, the number of problematic people that are in this film, <laughs> Uh, especially like the king of of problematic people, <laughs> uh, which you know is is weird to watch. Definitely, I was sitting there going like, I don't know how I feel about what I'm seeing on screen right now. But if you can kind of tune it out a little bit and kind of ignore some of the things that we know and and remember the fact that this film was made before a lot of these these things came out, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it is an enjoyable an enjoyable watch definitely. It is. I do have to say, and I'm going to try to say this without actually spoiling the movie if anybody hasn't seen it, but um, considering the things that Army Hammer has been accused of, um, not the cannibalism part, but some of the other things, uh, the, the, the likelihood is this is the last time we'll see him in a movie. I don't think he's coming back. And although, you know, some of my friends feel differently, but I think he's done. And so this is this is um, kind of an ironic and unfortunate final role for him. It's an interesting way to go out, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. But but you know, yes, there are some people in the cast that you know have had some problems, but. You know, you know who really surprised me the most out of everybody in this cast was Russell Brand. Yeah, he's very subdued. 
Yeah, but but it's like in a way not where he's fading into the background or whatever. Like his his character is good, his performance is good, and I yeah. think a lot of it is because he holds back so much. I've never seen him this way, and it was so nice to see that he's capable of it. And you know, it's like I also really liked Sofia Canedo. I think she was phenomenal, but I've yeah. also seen her be amazing. She's an Oscar nominated actress, you know, and she's she's reliably great. So is Annette Benning, you know. Um and Kenneth Branagh too, but uh, but it was just such a different type of role for Russell Brand, and to see him actually be able to pull it off and do it so well, I was I was very pleasantly surprised there. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I, I have to say I enjoyed Gal Gadot as well, mm-hmm. and um, and you know a lot of people kind of mocked her and they mocked the the things that that uh, were shown in the trailer and everything. But in context, it all makes sense. She's this spoiled rich person. Like that's the whole point of her character. And she absolutely, like she fulfills that role. She, she does exactly what she needs to do. Um, uh, And, and so, yeah, I, 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 like I say, I enjoyed this film. I enjoyed all of it. Uh, And I do like the fact that this Poirot is much more of a man of action Mm -hmm. is like running around. He's got things getting, being thrown at him. He's like Mm -hmm. fighting people. He gets angry. He gets angry. Yeah. There's, there's like, there's a lot of, of good stuff going on. I, I really do hope that they keep on making these movies because there is a hint uh, because there's there's a, a couple of lines in the middle of the film that indicate uh, what the next adaptation could potentially be. So I am I'm really hoping for that because that that particular book is also a really interesting one in terms of the narrative itself. Uh, and I would be interested to see how Branagh would deal with it. Yeah, I hope he does it. I I I don't know. I I think that there was. I hope that people don't take the wrong message from how this movie performed or underperformed because I think there's a lot of other reasons people didn't go to see it. And I don't think it's anything to do with, with Branagh's view of Poirot or these mysteries. I think it's things like the army hammer situation, you know? So I don't know. I hope they do more at least, you know, strike a deal with Hulu or Netflix and, and go straight to streaming like Ryan Johnson did with knives out too. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, we did get a couple questions. Brian wanted to know, he said, I'm a fan of the original Death on the Nile film with Peter Ustinov. What do you think of the different openings and character changes? Also, fun fact, Lynette's house in the opening of the 78 version is the Candle Shoe and Silver Spoon's Mansions. I did not know that. I didn't realize there was an actual, like, I don't know, anyway. Is there an exterior for the Silver Spoons Mansion? Do you even know what the Silver Spoons Mansion is? No, I do not. I have <laughs> oh no my clue gosh. what you're talking about. That was a show in the 80s with Ricky Schroeder and Jason Bateman and Alfonso Rivera and Ricky oh, see, this is a Gen X reference, is it? Yes. Is that what this is? Yes, okay. That's exactly I'm too young. I'm too is. young. Anyway. <laughs> I am technically, I think I'm technically an elder millennial. I've, I was informed the other day, although I don't know exactly, but um, it's good to know, I guess. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so thank you, Brian. That is a fun fact. But um, yeah. So what did you think of the different openings and character changes? From- I, I honestly do not, like, I'll be totally honest. I do not remember all of the, the openings for the original Yusuf film. Um, I, I've seen it a couple of times. I haven't watched it recently. 
Uh, I did definitely recognize some of the character changes, both from reading the, the, the Agatha Christie book and from seeing the Ustinov film. Like I say, I liked it. I liked the fact that we're getting more of this backstory with Poirot um, and like what has happened to him over the years and, and, uh, and why he does what he does, et cetera. And uh, I like that element, which doesn't really exist in the Ustinov adaptation. The Ustinov adaptation is much more that kind of fairly straightforward adaptation of the book and very, um, you know, very much reliant on, oh, you know, here's Maggie Smith and here's what Betty Davis. And, you know, you've got all of these different characters coming in and out that it's so much of it is about recognizing the stars who are playing them and less about the actual plot. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was my basic feeling. So, unfortunately, like, I can't say, oh, yeah, the openings or, or anything are, are more or less good. Yeah, I, I can't make a comparison, but what I will say is that I felt like the opening to this version was, um, I was very surprised that, um, the Disney as the parent company allowed it to go that far. I mean, there's some, like, it's very, in the broad sense of the word, very sexy, um, <laughs> and, um... <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> it makes dirty dancing look tame. We'll just say that. <laughs> and what? I was just so shocked. <laughs> watching, watching, and I was like, are they, like, allowed to do that in, like, a, a, I mean, I guess so. I'm like, but is was this really, some, like, the kind of dancing that was going on in the 1930s? Are we sure about that? But, yeah. 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 Anyway, I was just like, so, wow. Yeah, it was like, whoa, okay. Wow, okay. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> There's a lot of sexuality in this film, actually. Very which, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is a little disturbing. That's uh, a part um, of why it's, yeah. Yeah, it's why there, there are definitely points where you're like, I'm going to ignore what I know. Um, I'm just going to pretend that I don't know it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to do that. And luckily, he disappears for a good chunk of the movie, so it makes it easier. But yeah, anyway, uh, enough about that. So um, thank you, Brian. Um, Brian also wanted to know how much champagne would it actually take to fill the Nile? And, um, of course I couldn't just let that question go. I had to look it up. So, <laughs> uh, the problem is of course, obviously it's a river. It's not like a lake, so you can't really fill it because it's constantly, um, running and, but I did find someone actually did the math on this apparently and if you were to completely dam off the whole Nile and not allow it to empty, it would take approximately 80 billion gallons of champagne to fill it. So there you go. Jeff Bezos is going to do it any time now. <laughs> Just because he can. <laughs> anyway. Kill, kill all the wildlife. <laughs> uh... Yep, all the wildlife, all the plants. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, I think that's it. Any final thoughts, Lauren? No, not really. I mean, I think that we both recommended Death on the Nile um, mm -hmm. for this week, and and it is it is worth watching. They like, say so you have to be able to turn off a little bit about what you know about about some of the actors. Yeah. Um, but if you can do that, and I understand that some people can't, um, but if you could do that, it, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to give another plug for, you know, watch some Oscar movies. They're great. Yeah. And a lot of them are available for streaming now, um, even for free. So 
definitely check out Summer of Soul. It's on Hulu. It's it's a good, 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 good documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and also didn't win, but Writing with Fire is the Indian documentary that was also nominated. It's the first Indian film nominated in the documentary category. And I just found out this morning that it's available on PBS. So uh, go watch that too. It's fantastic. So yeah, just watch more movies. And if you haven't seen, uh, oh my gosh, if you haven't seen The Power of the Dog yet, go watch it. It is not boring. Not at all. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you so much for for joining us, for listening. We do have a bonus episode coming. Uh, We had intentions to record that this week, and then my plans got waylaid by a friend. So uh, that's a whole other story. Um, But it's coming. This week we will have our bonus episode out. We will be doing our review of Rebecca, the 1940 film from Alfred Hitchcock. I think it's 40. Is it 1940? I don't even know. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, not the 2019, 2020 version with uh, <laughs> Army Hammer, <laughs> which is on Netflix. Anyway, uh, but don't watch it even though it's there. Um, all right. But anyway, we just want to thank everyone for, for supporting, for listening to us, and for helping us keep the show going. And we especially want to thank our patrons who are Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Kiriata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much. If you would like to become a patron yourself and, and help support the show, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. You will get access to our full bonus episodes. You get the episodes early. Um, we do have packs coming out uh, I know we've been promising this for a while, but the Oscars are over now. So now I have time on my hands and I can make this happen. Um, so that's coming too. Um, we do have our Ko-Fi, which is ko-fi.com slash Citizen Dame, where you can uh, throw in a few dollars to support us if you would like to without the commitment. And of course, we have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame pod and lots of merch available there. You can check out our website, citizendamepod.com, where we have reviews and stuff. There's And there's more stuff that's coming. Um, so, again, now that the Oscars are over, I'm going to have time to catch up on some things that I've been meaning to, to write about and post over there. So that'll be good. And uh, if you have questions, comments, thoughts, and you want to share them, but you don't want to do that on social media, you can email us, citizendamepod at gmail.com. But you can also find us and follow us on the socials. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod and Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. That's going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you so much, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Here she is, the only woman I have ever loved, Mother. Mother, you must meet Hercule Poirot. Why? He's only the greatest detective alive. Oh, he exaggerates. No, he's quite correct, actually. You're quite the most ludicrous man I have ever seen. Not the first time I've heard this. And you're in my view. Stepping aside. Uh, Be kind, Mother. Poirot here is my friend, and he's famous. And he's joining our dinner tonight. Is he? I cannot intrude. Oh, no, not at all. You bump my stock at the table. It's not just Mother and I on holiday. We're celebrating with friends. It's a wedding party. Oh, is that me?